This is out of bounds. Just got out of the shower after a long <laughs> golf, or if it was a long Monday at the office, folks. That's why John Alba and I are here on Out of Bounds on the Know Your News Network. We are here to be your little pick me up to begin the week. And John, this is happy hour, baby. I have to tell you, um, I was pleasantly surprised, and for all I know, he may be watching right now. Uh, my boy David Wolf, formerly of Jags PR, now works uh, for the Houston Rockets, and. Uh, Remember when we talked about a certain Houston Rocket a few weeks ago? Mm-hmm. He just casually mentions to me when we're talking on the phone. Yes, yeah, so I was listening to you and John on the show the other day, and I was like, <laughs> wait, what? And he goes, oh, yeah, I saw you guys were talking about Harden. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. they're talking NBA and NBA, and John covered the Orlando. I know he knows ball. I need to see what they're talking about. So we know we have fans, whether that's live here on the Know Your News Network on Mondays at 6 o'clock. Or if that's on demand, which of course you can also listen to all of us on demand on the Know Your News Network on the YouTube channel. We appreciate all of you and we appreciate those of you who, of course, leave us comments as well. John, how are you? I love to hear that. I especially love our super chatters who head on over to KYNchat.com and leave those super chats. Or if you're watching live via YouTube, you leave that comment there and we'll read it on air. I'm I'm doing all right. Today's been a little more chaotic than I expected it to be. I was preparing our rundown and notes for today and i got a text from uh one of my other co-hosts on one of my podcasts that with all due respect to you and and our podcast here mia uh, that does a lot more (laughs) views and downloads than this and he said hey uh need you in like two minutes to do a two-hour podcast with me so i was like uh okay so thank you for hauling back and getting the shower and getting the show ready i appreciate it uh this is your monday happy hour talking all things weird wacky and wild and sports so we're gonna have some fun here i got springsteen three times this week assuming there's no cancellations and i'm very i saw the aerial shots the drones captured the stage being set up so i think it's a go we're rocking and rolling then that's what i like to hear do we have any idea what the what the illness was or no no Uh, laryngitis or i have my speculations but not not to be speculated publicly here on know your news of course uh let's see i'm gonna reach in what am i gonna go with i'm gonna go with some jmo here today straight jmo been Mm. a long time since i've done some jmo on the podcast what's your i actually probably uh since i i'm sporting uh, but we're going to get to behind the scenes of what I'm drinking, but I am sporting the all new Constellation Purik and Friends koozie from oh. the golf media day that I was just mm-hmm. at, which actually, John, I should probably run into my wine cabinet. Uh, they gave us a full thing of Hendrix gin. Um, oh. So maybe I should just be drinking that um, as it? that's going to be one of their signature drinks, the London Moscow Mule at the, at the tournament in October because the Jags will be in London that week. Uh, but actually, uh, instead of the gin, I am drinking. It's a Lagunitas. But it's like their fruity summer one. It was Bogo at Winn Dixie. You got like, like two more weeks to enjoy that. So I feel you. Bogo at Winn Dixie. Say no more. That or Publix. We don't. Summer's judge. over, man. Summer's over. Kills me. Kills Cheers me. Cheers to the final weeks of summer. But because, oh, wait, John, it's hurricane season in Florida. Summer never ends. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, good luck with that. Hope everyone stays safe down there in Florida if you're going to be hit by that storm and there's a storm brewing mia in the nfl and not in the way that you probably would have thought it would be john let's take our listeners behind the curtain here uh you text me this morning and you say yeah we're gonna lead with simone biles which we are gonna get to simone later in tonight's program um and then we came across this news in case you missed it (coughs) excuse me i'm so excited i i can't even contain myself The news came out this morning that the WWE has teamed up with the NFL and they are releasing legacy titles, championship belts for you casual WWE wrestling UFC fans for all 32 NFL teams. However, the plot thickens. Well, first, let's start off with the fact that these are valued at $585 or something like that, but that's not what I'm getting to. What I'm getting at is several hours after all 32 teams' legacy titles went on sale, the Jacksonville Jaguars' legacy title officially removed from WWE's shop. Many assume this is, of course, because Tony Khan, the co-owner of the Jags, is also the founder and president of WWE rival AEW. 
John, who needs to get into the cage match to represent WWE, the NFL, and the Jaguars in what is sure to be the most entertaining fight this fall? Yeah, this is totally what it is, by the way. This is not like conjecture or anything of that nature. That is absolutely 100% what this is. First off, the price tag, as you said, a lot. But I'll pull them back up here. There's one thing that I noticed immediately off the bat, because this has been a popular thing among the winners of Super Bowls and World Series mm-hmm. and NBA Finals. The Chiefs all had one, it seems like, in the in the parade last yeah, year. Yeah, WWE gives them these custom championship belts, and it's got the big WWE logo and then the team logo and all that. Notice, there's no WWE logo to be found on these things, which tells me that if WWE was willing to forego that, that boy, howdy, they're going to be making a large percentage of the payout of these things. So I think that might explain that hefty, hefty price tag for these championships. That's now, interesting. I didn't, I didn't know that. So that's super interesting. Yeah, I, that's my speculation on that. Now to discuss the matter at hand here. This is Petty with a capital T. This is... Or a capital K or TK, if you may. Capital TK, if you will. This is 100% because of the bad blood between WWE and Tony Khan, specifically the co-owner of the Jacksonville Jaguars, who, by the way, when the Jaguars are in London later this fall, Tony Khan will be missing that game because AEW, he announced a new AEW pay-per-view for that same weekend. And it will be, I think he said, the fourth time he has ever missed a Jaguars game since they came under ownership so make of that what you will they just AEW and tony khan this past weekend just set the record for the highest paid attendance for any professional wrestling show in history with eighty-one thousand plus people at wembley stadium so business is going well it was a relevant weekend for all elite wrestling and then the poor fans of duval county the jacksonville jaguars faithful they get screwed because of pettiness why would WWE, I don't understand this. Why would WWE take money out of their pockets here? That doesn't make any sense to me. No matter how just, petty I, this I, may I, be. I just want to know, is Tony going to come out with a rival belt? Of now? course he is. I he can't be, wait. I'm going to buy it because hopefully it's only like a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's not going to be the case. But it would be, it would be ridiculous for him not to start issuing custom AEW Jacksonville Jaguars belts. But licensing might be a bit of an issue there with the partnership between the NFL and WWE. So maybe there's a creative way that Tony Khan can go about doing something like this. Uh, this is, I cannot get over how petty this is it's over a fake manufactured war between two pro wrestling companies where by the way, it's fake. If you haven't heard <laughs> this is That's coming from a guy who covers it every day, this, this is ridiculous. I cannot get over how silly this is fake fighting turns into real fighting in the marketplace wild absolutely what are your thoughts about what do you think about the look of the championships they look kind of cheap you think they look cheap they don't look like the ones i've seen on tv maybe that's just the artist rendering but they kind of look cheap to me which is why at 585 dollar price tag is fascinating to me i do think there will be those crossover fans or those simple super fans of said nfl teams that will buy them i i don't think there's any question about that uh we had a guy dressed as a jaguar like literally a jaguar with like a headdress and painted in spots at the preseason game. Yes, I said preseason game on Saturday. So if that's in Jacksonville, I can't even imagine uh, someone in Chicago or Green Bay or Philadelphia, you know they're going to buy it. Las Vegas, like they're going to buy it. I- I'm not worried about that. It's a good venture on the part of WWE. But as for Tony, I mean, look, like l- let's put it this way. The reason I wasn't on Out of Bounds last week was because I had a client meeting and uh, the client is getting in the dare I say, Invisalign game. And uh, needless to say, with my mother being a dentist, there were some concerns. Uh, and my uncle being an orthodontist, there were concerns of if I would be able to represent this brand uh, on the part of my my management. And I said, it's okay. Like, you know, my mom's okay with it. She knows who they are. My uncle literally know, knows the sales rep. Like, it, it's fine. It's whatever. But to that point, John, the two of them kind of turned around and been very petty and said, Mia is not allowed to go hang out with Aspen Dental like that. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's who Tony Khan is with all due respect to Tony. He's protecting his brand. 
as much as I am my mother's brand, I also am my own person. So she's like, you could do you. Very different when it comes to his brainchild, AEW. I'm not surprised in the least. The bigger question is, answer the original question, John. Who is getting in the cage match to represent the NFL, WWE? And then I'm assuming Tony would represent AEW. I guess if we're going to have Tony represent them. So so we're looking at a triple threat cage match here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess Paul Levesque, Triple H would be for WWE. And then okay. for the NFL, I mean, I don't know what the NFL stakes really are in this whole conjecture. Raj. But who'd you say? Goodell. Raj, Roger yeah, Goodell. I guess, I guess probably Goodell. I, I, I'd say probably Goodell representing the owners here. That, that would seem like that would track. Uh, I don't know who would win that, but I would imagine Triple H probably would. It, It's a uh, man. I, I saw a great tweet from someone about this or Zeet or whatever the hell these things are called now. And it was the most obnoxious NFL fan, you know, just got even more obnoxious. <laughs> they're gonna buy them i'm not listen good for wwe it's i'm glad they're gonna profit off of it because you know people were making homemade ones for the past yeah i just i years. was really again we'll look at them again i i really was surprised that the wwe branding was not on this which just tells me that they must be getting a huge cut from these if the branding's not going to be a part of it you think they the look idiots. cheap huh at least this artist rendering they do. Okay. Maybe it's just because they're only one dimensional in the rendering. Maybe so what, actually, what are you expecting out of the belt here? I mean, it just doesn't look like it's actually made of gold. And if it's $585, I at least need fake gold. That looks like paper to me. Like it would be just plastic. I need the gold. I want the gold. In the words of the leprechaun in Mobile, Alabama, I how want the would, gold. How would you wear the belt? Would you wear it over your waist or over your shoulder? Waist. You're going over your waist. Yeah, because it would be too big for me. And so then it would be funny. That's true. You are small. There's yes. no there is no debate. That is not up for debate here on Out of Bounds. We'll keep rolling here with the NFL. Oh boy. This is this is actually you know It's not wanna, what you want, John. I want it okay. I feel like it's a little unfair. I do. I feel like this guy has gotten a little bit of a bad rep. The NFL, we've reached that time of the year. Teams got to trim their roster to 53 players by 4 o'clock tomorrow. And many teams are naming their starting quarterback. That includes the 49ers, who not only announced that former Mr. Irrelevant Brock Purdy will be their starter, former number three overall pick Trey Lance was slated to be their third string quarterback. He was subsequently traded to the Dallas Cowboys, where he will also be a third stringer, by the way. Anybody talking about that? Where does Trey Lance rank among the all-time greatest NFL busts, Mia O'Brien? I, I got to be real. I think – I don't think he's had the fair chance to show his capabilities. What say you? Okay. Um, well, let's begin with um, the timeline. So the timeline of this, probably, what, six, seven months ago, because Trey Lance had also suffered, if unless we forget, like a season-ending injury as Very well. Very serious injury. So mm-hmm. he suffers a serious injury a couple weeks into his first season as a starter. Jimmy Garoppolo takes over. He gets injured. That's how Brock Purdy ascends to the role, leads them to the NFC Championship game. He gets hurt. We're going to get to that in a second, too. Um, and then, John, it wasn't just that he was hurt. It was that he had a UCL injury, literally couldn't throw. Trey Lance and... Now turned journeyman, former number three overall pick as well, Sam Darnold. Uh, They're duking it out during the spring. And I think it was probably in August that Kyle Shanahan literally said that everyone on the face of the earth would have to perish, and Brock Purdy included, for him to not be the starting quarterback. The man barely had an elbow. And they were like, no, no, 256 overall pick, like that's our guy. With number three sitting right there and former number three also sitting there. Um, and, and so that's where, um, you know, I, I, I look at that and I look at this whole thing, because if we go even further back in the timeline, the other part of this is that the reason the 49ers moved up to number three in the 2021 draft, John, was because they had gone to the Super Bowl in 2020. Jimmy Garoppolo got them there. Yep. But according to Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch, and we will never know which one of them was the biggest proponent behind this. Jimmy G was only good enough to get them to the Super Bowl, akin to the Los Angeles Rams dealing Jared Goff to Detroit in favor of Matthew Stafford. And they might have been right on that. Get them to a Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford could help them win a Super Bowl. And so Kyle Shanahan decided, well, the new age quarterback is mobile. Jimmy's not mobile. Um, You know, gets outside the pocket, makes improvised plays. 
needs to elevate the play of everyone else around them. Jimmy's a game manager. Every quarterback that he has ever coached, you could argue, is a game manager from Kirk Cousins on down. But he says, it's okay, I will change. We need to take the most electric talent. Now, in that 2021 draft pool, Trevor Lawrence, everyone knew he was off the board. The Jets were obviously leaning towards Zach Wilson. I think if they hadn't taken Zach Wilson, I think there's a world in which the Niners would have taken him. I agree. Then that leaves you three guys. Trey Lance, he of 17 career starts and had only played one game in the previous year and a half due to the COVID-19 At an FCS school. At an FCS school where they run the ball a lot because it's North Dakota State. Mac Jones, the reigning quarterback of the national championship team, but another game manager, and so thus too vanilla for the number three overall pick. And then Justin Fields, who obviously has found success in Chicago as just that, an improviser, a guy who has found success despite his offensive line because he's able to create plays, he's able to elevate the play of those around him, even if he's been on a crappy team the last two years. And so the reason I give that whole backstory, John, is that I applaud the 49ers and Kyle Shanahan for saying we're going to be different because we have to swing big because we have this great team, but if we until we get the quarterback, it's not going to happen. And so that's where I applaud them for trying. Where I don't applaud them is they got chicken scared, for lack of a better term. Because when push came to shove, I think – For Kyle Shanahan to succeed, he needs a Mac Jones. He needs Mm -hmm. a Brock Purdy, which for what it's worth, Brock Purdy is a little bit more athletic than Jimmy Garoppolo. So perhaps that's where he is still a better version of Jimmy G. Do I think he can get you to a Super Bowl? I'm not sure. I would say your heralded defense and the fact that you traded for Christian McCaffrey is a much more bigger reason for why you have Super Bowl aspirations at this current juncture. But I, I think it stems from they felt like they had to take the biggest highest upside wild card back in 2021 when in reality you could have taken Mac Jones who fits the profile of, of every quarterback Shanahan had worked with or and this is the one that pisses me off I don't know about you I just go back to with all due respect to Josh Rosen and Sam Darnold who were the best players in their high school class and then they struggled in college at times and then they clearly both struggled once they were drafted in the top 10 in the NFL draft Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were the two best players when they were in middle school across the whole country. They were the two highest rated prospects in their high school class. They broke records. Two players in one class broke records, recruiting ranking records. Then they go to college. They're both Heisman finalists. They both go to the playoff multiple times. In what world was that guy not going to be as good as the guy with 17? I think it's a case of teams just trying to get too cute. And that happens. That happens often in sports. Teams think with their scouting, their advanced scouting, that we've stumbled upon a hidden gem. And that's why this guy, that's how Daniel Jones ended up a New York Giant. You know, he went to Duke and not exactly a perennial football powerhouse, but they're like, no, we know that he's got the intangibles because we've been looking at them. And I think it was very similar with Trey Lance, where the Niners probably wanted to go out there and make a splash and add a playmaker on a small sample size. And sometimes small sample sizes pop out because I nearly just dropped my brand new phone. Apologies. (laughs) Sometimes small sample sizes stand out because they can be so concentrated and they can be so eye opening. Um, and, And I feel bad for Trey Lance. I do, because I don't, I think his playing career is a small sample size in the NFL. And that's not necessarily fair. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Trey Lance is a pro bowler. I'm not saying that right now. And I understand the Niners are in a window where they could win a Super Bowl, but they need the right person there. So I get that. I understand that. I don't think it's fair to call Trey Lance an all-time bust just yet. We live in a world with Ryan Leaf. We live in a world with someone you just mentioned, Josh Rosen, who was – very much heralded coming you know into that. No one's talking about how much of a bust that was. Yeah, I mean, pe- people talk about that being a heralded draft class for quarterbacks. He, he, total flop out of that. And you could have argued, just like I am arguing with Trey Lance here, that Rosen maybe didn't really get a real fair chance early on, but it he never was meant year. to be. And now I feel bad for Trey Lance because guess what? He's going to a no-win situation in Dallas for him, in my opinion. He's a third stringer there. He's going to a franchise that if you do somehow earn the reward of being under center for America's team, it is the most scrutinized and 
I mean, the, the governor of Te- we covered this on the show. The governor of Texas scrutinized Dak Prescott recently. <laughs> so I don't see it happening there. And, and as Scott in our comments points out, Jamarcus Russell's obviously yeah. right there. At that's top the, the, that's the de facto answer, and it should be. I mean, sure. Ryan Leaf, unfortunately, we have now learned how much else was at play there. Um, I would almost I, – I, not that they're the same thing, but I would equate him, ironically, as I look at a Justin Blackman jersey in my house right now. Like, Justin Blackman, who the Jaguars drafted in the top 10 once upon a time – or not top 10, first round, either way. Point is, 31 other NFL teams knew that Justin Blackman was at the bar every night, and for some reason the Jaguars didn't send a scout. And obviously we know Ryan Leaf had a trouble pass. None of that was the case with Trey Lance. I think Trey Lance, and I don't know him, I, I, I've all only heard good things that he's, you know – a good guy, they like him, just not the guy that they want to follow and the guy they believe will take them over the top. And so I don't think, in like, in terms of a chicken or the egg, do you blame, like, Lance or do you blame the team? Like, the reality is if the Niners go to the Super Bowl, no one's going to care. He's just going to be no. forgotten even more than, right. than Josh Rosen. And, and I think I think it is a case of a front office failing a player just as much as it is the paler, the, the player failing the front office. I think it's hand in hand and and John Lynch has done a really nice job there but oh undoubtedly I'm pulling up their draft history by the way but continue but I think there are times where you just have to step back and say hey we whiffed on this one and it doesn't mean you whiffed on the pick maybe it means you whiffed on developing said pick and that's that works all time and look I hope I really do I hope this is a case where they whiffed on his development and that Trey Lance is someone who does prove to be a serviceable NFL player and helps a team win games you never root for a player to fail you root for them to succeed here's the crazy part so i'm looking at their draft history um i won't say anything about their 2022 class because we still don't know a whole lot about them although taking a running back in the third who i think has appeared in no six games okay good for Tyrion davis prince um uh, yeah i i'm genuinely curious to see how the rest of that draft class works out but that's besides the point let's look at the niners draft and this is why even if you know, everyone views the Trey Lance experiment as a failure. John Lynch is not getting fired. Kyle Shanahan's not getting fired, not only because they win, but because here are some of the other names that they've drafted in the last five years that John Lynch has been the GM and Shanahan's been at the helm. Uh, Talanoa Hufanga, they get him out of USC, fifth round safety. Many believed he could have won defensive player of the defensive rookie of the year a few years back. Elijah Mitchell, running back, becomes part of that stable. Brandon Ayuk, they get him at the end of the first round back in 2020. They hit on him. Jawan Jennings, they get him in the seventh round, and he becomes a guy that's contributed for them with six touchdowns. Debo Samuel getting him in the second round. Obviously, we know about Nick Bosa, but Dre Greenlaw getting him in the fifth round. And then, of course, the the draft of all drafts, getting Mike McGlinchey in the first round, Fred Warner in the third. You get DJ Reed in the fifth. They have a clear, clear track history of hitting on guys. And when you're hitting on all those other positions, it is important to obviously hit on the all most important one. But for argument's sake, they could argue that they hit on Purdy. And so therefore, all is well. All is forgotten. But there was a time where they needed Purdy and they didn't have him, Mia. Oh, yes. What fun is this? Oh, yes. So I mentioned earlier, remember when I said about the UCL and we get back to that? Yeah. So if you remember, John, back in the NFC Championship game, Brock Purdy, the third string quarterback for the San Francisco 49ers, got hurt, suffered that UCL injury. His backup was the legendary journeyman, Josh Johnson. Josh Johnson then got hurt in this NFC Championship game against the Philadelphia Eagles, which led to running back Christian McCaffrey, the emergency quarterback, having to sit in the pocket where everyone knew he was going to run the ball and, and maybe throw it. By the way, he was back. hurt for half of the year last year himself. Also that. Yes, <laughs> also that. Um, so the NFL decides they're going to create this new rule that you can have three quarterbacks active on game day. However, they need to all three be on the 53-man roster, not the practice squad. It's not like you could just elevate them. And then also, so so like you so you, you could elevate a quarterback from the practice squad, but then that quarterback could obviously get claimed unless they're one of the four protected each week. Plus, then you're taking away from a special teams or an offensive line player, perhaps, that you want for depth. And so it's kind of a risk if you're going to be elevating somebody each and every week from the practice squad, and you only get X amount of elevations. And so that's where this comes in, where even if they technically are like third string backup, they don't really play, they're your scout team quarterback – 
they can be considered active on game day. Heaven forbid both those first two quarterbacks were to get injured. But as I hinted to numerous times there, John, the reality is, is you only have 53 spots. And if one of them is for a worst case scenario doomsday situation, do you really want to give up that spot that you could use for uh, depth at a different position or someone who could help your roster now? Do you really want to give that spot up? Will teams actually carry three quarterbacks this season? Here's why I say the answer should be a yes. Oh. Because here, here's why. What's the most important position on a football team? A quarterback. I think that's your answer right there, Mia. And we saw firsthand that the 49er season came to a collapse because they literally didn't have someone physically capable of playing quarterback. If you are a good enough team to play deep into the postseason, it means you're better than just your quarterback. It means you've got talented players all around them. But if you have no one serviceable under center to get the ball to those people, you have no shot. You have no shot. The New York Giants won a Super Bowl in the early 90s with Jeff Hosteller. Okay? Like this can be done. You can make a run with someone who is Joe Flacco won a Super Bowl. Chicago went to the Super Bowl with Rex Grossman as their quarterback. Mm -hmm. That's why I do think that it's important to have the backup for the backup. Because ultimately, should you find yourself in a doomsday scenario, which we've now seen can happen on the biggest stage, you have to have your ass protected. And I just think that ultimately even though it's unlikely, there is more value in that than carrying someone who's probably not going to see a whole lot of snaps elsewhere unless maybe it's on special teams or something of that nature. That's just but my take on it. are they just taking up a spot? Like, what are, like, like what, what, what exactly do you do here? I, I mean, look. I get something like the Tennessee Titans where, like, they know Will Levis is developing they know Malik Willis is the backup for right now, and that's why they're carrying three quarterbacks. Like, that I understand. But for a team to go out of their way when the truth is, I mean, the odds of this, ha- like, in the biggest of the big games, like the NFC Championship game, yes, I think then you would want to have three quarterbacks, heaven forbid. And while you only have 17 games in a season, and each and every one is very important, if you can elevate via the practice squad, like, the odds of both quarterbacks getting hurt, like, how many times have we actually seen that? I understand that, but we've seen that it can happen. So so would you suggest then that maybe this should be a postseason-only rule? Yeah, that would be good, actually. I like that idea. Yeah, because I, I just think the reality is, is like, well, certainly, again, every game matters in a 17-game season, especially in a tight division race. If that's the, you know, let's say you have a quarterback that's a little nicked up, like the odds of just a straight up, this guy tears his ACL mm-hmm. and this guy breaks his arm, like, statistically speaking, I just don't see that happening. If one of your two, what? So if you're one of your two quarterbacks is a little banged up, then you can elevate somebody from the practice squad, because I do believe everybody should have a quarterback on their practice squad to lead the scout team. I think there's merit to the argument that there should be some sort of roster expansion late in the season in the NFL, like how you see in baseball. Obviously it used to be a lot more in baseball when they do the 40 man expansion. That's not the case anymore, but there still is an expansion that happens because wear and tear, occurs during the season that's just the nature of the beast it's gonna happen and in the nfl especially where guys are just throwing their bodies at each other that wear and tear is gonna happen significantly i wouldn't hate to see some late season expansion or postseason expansion of rosters to help allow for something like this would you rather have a third string quarterback or a third string running back on your roster third string running back why do you say that I think the wear and tear and the reality of a running back getting hurt is so much more likely. Even in a league where the running back is becoming increasingly and increasingly less valuable. Right. It doesn't matter. Well, the name doesn't matter. It's the fact that it's a body and it's someone who can but run the what ball. I'm saying is the usage of the running back is even becoming less valuable. Right. But you also are seeing a world in which you have a stable of backs. And so that's where also I think you see less injuries at that position because they're sharing the wealth. And so it's because they keep three, four. And for the record, I'm all about the multi back system. I I think multi back systems usually give your quarterbacks the best chance to win. It elongates the longevity of each of their careers. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I would rather have more bodies there to keep everybody fresh and healthy than I would have, you know, let's only one quarterback can play at a time. Like, you know, 
what's this like what exactly does he do here is he i know he leads the scout team and he's there in case of emergency but like also kind of taking up a roster spot yeah i i I just feel like there is an opportunity here to give teams an out that circumstantially they're not necessarily prepared for because they are expecting their quarterback to go. And then the late season doldrums hit where bodies start breaking down or you get a sudden injury like a UCL tear or something like that. I do think we need to be better at giving an out for some of these teams. Let's keep going here Uh, in the NFL. We'll stay there, especially as this season, I can't believe we're like knocking on the door of the NFL season here. Crazy. Uh, But the preseason really cannot wrap up soon enough without some of this unnecessary drama. The Jaguars and Dolphins preseason game was suspended with eight minutes left when rookie wide receiver Daywood Davis, who is a Miami Hollywood Beach native, was trying to make his hometown roster, of course, uh, collided with the Jaguars to Quan Jackson, coincidentally a Jacksonville native, rather, trying to make his hometown team. Uh, Davis laid motionless on the ground and was immediately carted off. The teams revealed once the game was over that Davis was conscious. He had feeling in his extremities, so all things good. He traveled back to Miami the next morning, thankfully, but some NFL fans were outraged, Mia, that another game like this just last year, the Bills and Bengals, of course, the DeMar Hamlin game was called off after a significant injury in its own right. So what's the right call in a situation moving forward like this? Does one size necessarily fit all here? No, not at all. And if this was a regular season game and now knowing that David Davis had feeling in his extremities and was conscious, it didn't look that way from the press box. Um, but knowing all of that, I think they would have continued the game if it was a regular season game, um, like it or hate it. If it was the regular season and it mattered, they would have. But the reality was there was eight minutes left. And while certainly I can understand if you're one of those fringe roster guys who, like, have barely played at that point, you'd be disappointed because you're like, hey, this was supposed to be my eight minutes to, like, prove I should be on this roster. I'd be upset, too. Um, What was interesting, John, was that you had not only Mike McDaniel and Doug Peterson at midfield with the officials, but you also had the NFL PA reps for each of the two teams. So for the Jags, it's kicker Brandon McManus, and I think it's Christian Wilkins for the Dolphins, ironically, given his contract situation. Um, And they were all standing at midfield, and, you know, obviously the player union rep is having a say, too. Um, And I think the reality was it's the preseason, eight minutes left. It's it's 9.50 at night. It's almost 10 o'clock. The game should be over at 10 anyways. Let's pack it up. It's not worth it. And plus at that point too, I mean, I think, you know, you had Dolphins players that were shook up from seeing their teammate down there on the ground. Um, But I do believe they would have played knowing he was conscious and was okay. They would have played if it was a regular season game, Um, which like it or not, like that's, that's the nature of the league. In the words of Jimmer say he could die and Jonathan Taylor could be released and out of the league and the league would keep going on. The DeMar Hamlin situation was different because a man literally died on the field. Yeah, and I think it was visually apparent, too, to people with the DeMar Hamlin situation that that was something that happened here. Um, I think fans need to take a step back sometimes and just chill a little bit when it comes to these injuries. And remember that football, at the end of the day, truly is a gladiator sport. It is. And... You can make the argument, well, it doesn't need to be, and that's a whole other conversation in and of itself. But I do think we need to take a step back and remember these are real people and that it shouldn't always just be the, well, let's play on mentality. That, Especially in a meaningless game like this, and it truly is meaningless, that it's not important to keep playing through something like that. It's just not. Uh I I agree with you with the sentiment that if this was a regular season or a playoff game, they probably would have found a way to keep playing through it. It does make you look in the mirror though and say, man, what do we truly value when we talk about sports, when we cover these sports, when we root for these teams, when we root for these players or root against these players and root against these teams, what do we truly value? Do we only care about that brand Or do we actually care about the individual human beings that are behind it? And I think that's a fair assessment that every fan should be asking themselves, especially as we approach this NFL season here that is about to get underway. Yeah, 
I mean, on a, you know, not to not stick to sports, but like on another level, you also had a mass shooting going on four miles away from the Jaguars Dolphins game and the game very much played on. Um, and I was saying to like one of my Ithaca brethren reached out to me during the game. And like, I'm thinking like, dude, you see me tweeting about the game. Like I'm, I'm not covered. I don't work in news anymore. I'm not covering that. But then like I stopped and thought about it and I'm like, how like numb are we as a society that like n- take the shooting part out of it. But like all these other things could be happening in the yeah. world and someone could be hurt. And we're just like, I have football to cover. Sure. Like I have football to watch, yeah. but like, that's, that's the, that's the machine. That's what they've sought to create. Yeah. And they have done just that. They certainly have. Let's, let's brighten things up a little bit here, Mia. Oh yes. My favorite sports story of the week, John Alva. Vandy, oh, the victors, hail, ahoy, Commodores. They beat Hawaii on Saturday um, in the most beautiful mess of a game that there's ever been. Not because the game was sloppy, uh, but because First Bank Stadium is literally a dirt pile right now. Um, I was actually here in July, John, at the end of July, as you probably remember, for SEC Media Days in Nashville, and we walked past it. And let me tell you, like, literally the whole turf was torn up and there was dirt everywhere and i'm like how are they how are they gonna play week zero not only week one week zero but they did with the scoreboard suspended with cranes <laughs> by cranes i should say so funny hawaii's visiting locker room was literally a party tent in the parking lot like a tailgating giant white tent that i'm assuming didn't have air conditioning and all of this was only further compounded by a lightning delay that pushed kickoff even further back, which was probably because part of the siding of the seats of the stands is exposed and it's straight metal. Um, so, yeah, probably not great in a lightning storm. John, where does this rank among the wackiest stadium renovation absurdity stories in recent memory? Yeah, it's right up there. I always think about Bush Stadium, the, the current home of the St. Louis Cardinals. They built it where half of the structure, more than half of the structure, I believe, was on the property of the original or the second Bush Stadium, the one that preceded it. So they built like 60% of the stadium and then they were on a rush. They had to get the last 40% done before the start of the next season. So go figure October to April. And that's not exactly favorable weather conditions for St. Louis. Uh, And when the stadium opened, like a quarter of the stadium was not usable. It was not usable. All of the field was not usable. It was, I guess the structure was enclosed, but there were not seats there. Like it was like an empty, barren part of the stadium, which is so bizarre to think about. And for, especially for a franchise like the Cardinals, a very prestigious uh, baseball franchise so that one that was the first one that immediately came to mind for me I what was, about you i was told one on the golf course that just hit me uh earlier today um did you watch swamp kings yet or are you not no. watching the urban meyer puff piece no. that's a good life to my see. mom watched I, it though and she was very interested she's like this urban meyer seems, she knows nothing about sports she's like this urban meyer seems like a very complicated person i said yeah that's that's one way you could describe and it. he also basically wrote that documentary yeah. but you don't need to know that yeah. um uh, the Florida Alabama game, Urban's second year, the year they won the first national championship. Somebody's that I was golfing with today, they went to that game, and that was after Bryant Denny Stadium had done renovations. And apparently, they were given seat numbers like 15A row this that didn't exist yet. Like there was just space. They didn't exist. But the Alabama fans apparently were very hospitable and they were like, we have extra seats over here. Come sit here. Um, But yeah, just walking in and your seat doesn't exist yet. We accidentally printed them because we wanted to get more people into the stadium. Um, I also am reminded, and obviously this wasn't a construction situation, um, but I am reminded of the um, Minneapolis dome situation Mm -hmm. uh, with the snow and and compounding. The snow collapsed the Metrodome. Yep. Yes, exactly. And the irony is not lost on me that then in Minneapolis, they had to play outside in the University of Minnesota Stadium in the cold. And people are like, why do you need a dome? And it's like, this is why. Um, So I appreciate that one as well. But this Vandy one, I mean, it's just like, this is some Firefest ish John. Like, aren't they supposed to be the smart school in college football? At least in Tennessee, they are. 
well said well said i or in the sec for what it's worth i i just was like because the thing is they didn't start construction until like april and even then they didn't start massive construction until july 1 which like the season starts august 25th seems problematic i don't know just me gonna have a visitor's locker room in the parking lot it seems somewhat problematic yeah that's that's pretty bad. That's that's definitely right up there. Uh, let's pivot away from football here. I'm sure we'll be talking about football for weeks to come on this podcast. Let's let's take a little bit of a moment to appreciate a true top tier elite athlete. Okay, Simone mm-hmm. Biles won her eighth U.S. National All Around Championship this weekend. Twenty six years of age. She breaks the all-time record set for titles. And uh, by the way, the last of the record that she broke came 90 years ago. I'm going to ask you this straight up. With all this said, Mia O'Brien, is Simone Biles in the great American list of athletes, is she a GOAT? I think she is. Um, I mean, if for nothing else, John, this is a sport that is making so much of its payday on young athletes, Mm -hmm. athletes who haven't even matured to college age yet. I mean, we're talking 14, 15 year old athletes and to see someone at 26 still be considered the best in the world, let alone the best in this country, um, which is obviously a predominant power. It's shocking because I remember with Sean Johnson and, and Gabby Douglas and and those when Gabby Douglas made a second Olympic team when she went to London in 2012 that or yes London, no but she went to Rio because she was London was when she won all the golds and then she went to Rio with Simone like that was a huge deal and she was only 24 years old and it was like oh my god I can't believe she made the team again like that's so such a big deal and now it's like Simone Miles is 26 and she's still beating all these kids um I am genuinely curious if she will be able to go in 2024 I would hope so I mean that's you know a year from now and if she's competing at this level I would assume she'll be at the Olympics in 2024 and And then who knows? I mean, all bets are on. It seems like she's found herself after I think a lot of people, perhaps her legacy would have had a different vibe if it had ended with the 2020 Tokyo Games. And she obviously bowed out. She took a two-year layoff, keep in mind, too. And she came back and did what she did. She has 25 world medals, the most ever. She has 19 world gold medals. This is on another level of dominance and think about it. She's four foot eight. She's four foot eight doing the athletic. I I mean, the athletic capability to do what she does at her size is truly, truly unbelievable. And like unbelievable is a term that you throw around arbitrarily a lot. It is without belief that something like this could happen that she has dominated in the way that she is. And I think when you talk about the Michael Phelps, you talk about the Jesse Owens, you talk about people like this, the Babe Ruths, the, I mean, everything. I think Simone Biles is right up there. And I don't think she's ever truly going to get that full designation from people on a widespread basis. I think there are a lot of reasons for that, which are not fair, most of which. But I think without question, Mia, there is a fair argument to be made that she might be the greatest American athlete of all time. I would agree with that. Um, two things. One, you brought up Michael Phelps. Um, I'm also going to, uh, you know, showcase the, the shirt that I have. You know, who oh, good. we hit all is. the bingo items tonight. I was worried. We you know who number 22 for. is, John Alba? Please. The reason I show you Caitlin Clark's jersey, jersey, she might be a goat by the end. Of the, she might be a goat by the end of the day. Correct. Too. And you want to know why? Because yeah. even people that are casual women's basketball fans know her name. Yeah. People who aren't fans of the, of swimming outside of three weeks during the summer games every four years, they know who Michael Phelps is. That's the same thing with Simone Biles, and that perhaps is when you know someone is a goat. 
when you could not even care about the sport. You could not care about sports at all, but you say their name and then, oh yeah. Yeah, I know. them. Unless you have some crazy TMZ story, like that's the only other time that you have that sort of universal recognition. Unless yeah. you, game respect game or it's some crazy off the field story. I certainly agree with that. Let's hit one more here, Mia, before we get to our beast of the week. I got to talk about Shohei. Okay. This is yeah. Shohei's a frequenter of out of bounds because he truly is another one of those unbelievable athletes. But as we've been speculating that this guy might get a $700 million payday, we find out this week, Mia, that he's got a tear in his UCL. And now he's being shut down from pitching this year his potential for getting a second Tommy John surgery is awfully high. This comes at literally the worst possible time for him. The absolute worst possible time as he's about to hit free agency. He wasn't traded at the deadline. Imagine what would have happened if a team traded for him and then didn't get to utilize him as a pitcher as they suspected they would be able to. How much does something like this truly devalue Shohei as he hits the open market this offseason? Here's the thing is he had Tommy John surgery previously. And while he couldn't pitch that year, he still hit pretty still was well. A good hitter. Still was a good, he wasn't, yeah. he wasn't doing what he did recently, but he still was good. Right. Which he's been in the league since 2017, 2018, 2018. So five years, um, this would, I mean, if this injury is significant, this would be his second major injury. Has he had any other stints on the DL? Cause I feel like he has. I mean, not to this level on the injured list. He hasn't done right. anything like that. But, I mean... I, I also want this- him to earn a reputation as a hurt guy. I don't think he has. Um, I, I mean, I just go back to... if Perhaps if he was playing on the East Coast, we would be more familiar, and maybe perhaps people would label him as that. Um, but because he's toiling away in Southern California um, for a interesting ball club, um, that's why people know him, obviously, because he's perhaps one of the greatest ball players of our time. Um, but I don't think there's been enough room for people to say, Oh, he's an injured. He's a hurt guy. He's always hurt. Like people could argue Mike Trout is always hurt, even though he's also been one of the best players of our time because he's had plenty of stints on the DL over the last four to five years. Um, but because they're toiling away for the angels, no one's actually saying it. I wonder two things. I wonder how much it brings his value down. My guess is it probably costs him about $100 million on his contract, quite frankly. Uh, the upside of it being he'll have more suitors. There will be more teams that will be in on him because of that. But the other thing that I'm curious, if it has an effect on whether or not we see the boom that we were anticipating with the two-way player in baseball. Because I think that was something that clearly was going to be very marketable for a lot of college players coming out and high school players coming out that, yeah, this is someone who can hit and pitch really well because of what Shohei's doing. I think we were acknowledging that this is a guy who had that level of influence. But now with two UCL injuries, are we living in a world where all of a sudden now you got to hit pause on that and have a little more hesitance? I mean, Tommy John is now considered a rite of passage. I understand that, but this is two, potentially. Yeah, I know. Now that it's two, now, well, no, or it could just be written off as he's a hurt guy. Uh, that That's what I'm telling. Like, I think if he was in the New York market, it wouldn't be a referendum on two-way players. It would simply be, he's a hurt guy. That Like, that. that's just my takeaway. Like, I, that's what I come away from. Because I do believe that you can play both ways. I don't think you should have to shoulder the weight of an entire team alongside Mike Trout. I don't think he feels that way. The Angels certainly didn't feel that way at the trade deadline because they felt like they had a good enough team, not just those two stars. So I don't know. I I think it would be a we would be looking at this through a very different lens if he didn't play for the Angels. Certainly so. All right, Mia, it is time for our final topic, the beast of the week. Who did the most beastly thing you saw in sports this week? I don't know if it's so much him that did the beastly work as it is the Arizona Cardinals management, John. Um, Do you know how many games Josh Dobbs has actually started in his NFL career, which dates back to 2017, 2018? How many? He has, in fact, played in eight games. Eight games. Since 2018. The man has been traded not once but twice. 
for a fourth round pick from Jacksonville back in 2019 when Nick Foles got hurt. And now a fifth round pick with the Arizona Cardinals. Because wait for it. The Arizona Cardinals, knowing that Kyler Murray will stay on the pup list and will not play this whole first month of the season, cut Colt McCoy, the backup quarterback, who has been taking all the first team reps. And then you have Josh Dobbs, who got there last week, and a fifth-round pick and Clayton Toon out of the University of Houston. And John Gannon had the audacity to say today, I'm not ready to name one of them the starter. You don't say, John. So I don't know if it's... Gannon and the Cardinals and their audacity to tank right in front of our eyes. That's so beastly. Or it's Josh Dobbs, who's made millions, also hey, is a, him. wait for it, wait for it, John, aerospace engineer, has had multiple internships at NASA. Good for him. And has completely worked the system. That's only a two-way beast of the week as far as I see it. Yeah. And then he, uh, lest we forget last year, he gets signed by the Titans because Tannehill was hurt. Malik Willis couldn't throw a football. On two weeks' notice, he's starting the de facto AFC South championship game and came up a fumble short of winning the AFC South. So I think Josh Dobbs is a beast. He's a good dude, too. Like, he actually is. Like, like I'm not just joking. Like, he is actually a NASA astronaut, yeah. Like which is awesome. So maybe Vanderbilt isn't the smartest school in the state of Tennessee because mm. he's from Knoxville. My beast of the week is Louie Lappy, who hit a walk-off home run for California in the Little League World Series over Curacao to give California the Little League World Series championship. El Segundo! I mean, listen, the, uh, when you're a little kid and you're playing baseball or you're playing softball, you dream of hitting the walk-off home run that wins your team the championship. This guy did it on the biggest stage possible for his particular position and winning the little league world series it's really cool to think of all the great major league baseball players that played in the little league world series at some point so you never know for all we know louis lappy's the next mike trout you never know it could happen todd frazier it could be todd frazier shout out tom's river could 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 very well be in that same category i think this is just and uh, this is not the first time this happened there have been multiple walk-off home runs to win the Little League World Series in the last 15 years. It has happened on several occasions. I just think that's amazing, the fact that we get that consistently occurring with the best Little League players in the world. I I love the Little League World Series. I don't know about you. I think it's one of the coolest events that we have every single year. So uh, shout-out to Louie Lappy and the walk-off home run there for California. Love it. And I also was just in El Segundo, so – Shout out to Southern California. Shout out to Louis Lappy, also a hell of a name. Um, yeah, my, my friend joked about it the other day with me. He was like, it's kind of funny that as, as a society, we love watching little boys uh, on television. But hey, we do because that's where dreams come true. Disney World and also Williamsport, PA. This has been Out of Bounds. That's me, O'Brien. I'm John Alba. We will see you next time right here. I know your news. Roses are red. Violets are blue. I click the subscribe button, you really should too. If you like videos about real news stories that are funny, stupid, or weird, subscribe now.